Thursday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Kind of a wet one out there today, folks. Stay safe if you're driving around, and we'll keep you company for the next little while here as we are coming to you the morning after a Toronto Raptors victory in Minnesota. And we are officially into the all-star break now for the NBA and for the Raptors. And certainly, Jonesy, good for Toronto to go in on a positive note. A bit of a weird game last night against Minnesota, at least by by, by my count. I, I think yours as well. You know, kind of both teams starting off uh, like wildfire didn't seem to be able to miss the first half of the first quarter, if not most of the first quarter in general. The Raptors put up a 30-piece on the road in the first quarter, and then only 19 in the second. They blow a 13-point lead. They're down two at the half. They're down two at the end of three, and then they shut it down in the fourth quarter, hold Minnesota to a brutal shooting percentage. The Timberwolves end up down below 40% when the dust settles and a double-digit victory. So they blow a 13-point lead. They end up winning by 12 and how about Gary Trent doing it again? So it kind of, a, as I say, a weird one last night, all while playing without Fred Van Vliet. I thought they did a really good job, Eric, in the uh, third and fourth, the second half, the fourth quarter especially, of uh, you know shutting Minnesota down, getting their offense going. That We talked about it on our uh, video recap last night uh, or on uh, Wednesday night. They had a 15-4 run to start the third quarter, the fourth quarter, took the lead, and you know really, really never looked back after that point. And this is a team that is used to being in these kinds of games. I mean, it wasn't uh, one point, three points or less with a minute to go, but it was close. It was tight, and the Raptors have more of those games than anybody else in the NBA. Uh, right now you look at, at that co- category plus, and, and this is where you make your money in close games, plus or minus three with a minute to go. The Toronto Raptors have the second most games in the NBA, 23. Uh, 24 is the top between the Lakers, Indiana, and Boston. And then the Raptors and OKC uh, are, are next with 23. And, you know, when you look at the winning percentage, it's not, it's not great for Toronto. It's, it's 12 and 11, but it's the top half of the league. And they're used to playing in, in close games. They know what to do down the stretch. This unit is coming together. By the way, their 12 wins is the fourth most in the NBA. So, you know, it's going to come down to close games and how you execute in close games. And sometimes it's not always in the last minute, as it was with Toronto. It was the middle of the, middle of the four, beginning to middle of the fourth quarter, and that's what made the difference for them. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I thought last night as well, Jonesy, key plays from key players in key moments. Like OG Ananobi, I thought struggled for a good chunk of the evening, but was big in the fourth quarter. Pascal Siakam, his numbers in terms of scoring weren't wowing you, but a team-high game-high nine assists. Gary Trent started hot, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at two points going into... Uh, the third quarter after his first quarter. So only two points in the second quarter, but got the hot hand again in that fourth quarter. Chris Boucher with a couple of timely blocks as well, hey, providing Lance. some energy, right? Like there was there was lots going on, right? Uh, there was a ton going on. Um, Eric, I, I seem to have lost my connection there. How long was I talking to myself like the old cell phone days? 
your point uh, to me, I didn't even know that you had lost the connection, Jonesy. Because w- if you okay. cut out, you cut out at the perfect time at okay, the end good. of a sentence. Because because it it sounded natural to me, and I was talking. So <laughs> so when you yelled, "Hey, Lance!" Okay. I thought you were getting Lance to to cue up a clip or something. Because everything sounded good on our end, Jonesy. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I I just wanted to make sure that. Uh, my my award-winning point made about uh, close games was. Uh, oh no, we heard all that. You didn't. Our, our, you didn't. You didn't lose your connection then, Jonesy. We had you that entire time. <laughs> okay, that's great. That's great. Well, um, I was I, like I was the, trying to make like the, the point Raptors. about the key. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. they lost the connection for a couple of quarters, but got it back in the fourth, right? Exactly. Um, and the point I was making is the key plays from key players at key moments uh, and, and highlighting, as I just did, some of the guys like Pascal and, and Trent and even Boucher with those timely blocks off the bench as well. But I don't know if we can say enough about Gary Trent and what he's done uh, this season. I was going to say of late, and even of late would be a month plus, but another 30-point performance last night for Gary Trent uh, with his dad sitting courtside in the best-looking fur jacket I think I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, and Gary Trent goes out for 30 points, 10 of 24, 5 of 12 from distance, added four rebounds, a couple of assists. Um, he was the story again. And, and man, Jonesy, it's it's – it's tough to look back at that trade from last year and as well-liked as Norm Powell was by and well-loved as Norm Powell was by teammates, by coaches, by the organization, by fans, by broadcasters and media. Like, like nobody can find a bad word to say about Norm as a person, let alone how he was as a player and as a professional. But it's hard to look at this deal and not go, wow, Toronto might have got something real good here in Gary Trent because – as we've noted a number of times over the course of the season and, and probably on a lot of these mornings after his big scoring performances, we, we continue to highlight how well he's been offensively, but then also emphasize the fact that he has been almost as good defensively and certainly better than you probably anticipated or expected going into the season. Yeah, um, you know, chalk it up to talent evaluation from Masai, Bobby, and Dan. Uh, and, and the scouting group and the pro scouting group especially because, I mean, we see these guys sitting courtside evaluating and watching players and watching the way they work, uh, their, their personalities. Uh, then they do a, probably do a deep dive into intel with people that know them outside of the game and, and get an honest evaluation. He's good at this. He's really good at this. He's not good at this. Here's something you have to watch out for. Here's something from an emotional standpoint that, you know, that, that needs to be monitored or, or you, know, uh, uh, you know, watched. So give the pro scouting department, uh, you know, a tip of the cap for, for the deep dive into what was going on with Gary Trent Jr. And, uh, you know, he's young, uh, still improving. Uh, they got a good one. They really, really did. And he really stepped forward last night with the absence of Fred Van Vliet. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Gary Trent a little bit further. Or at least let's hear from Gary Trent after the ball game last night. Here's Gary Trent. I mentioned uh, Dad sitting courtside, uh, but a whole lot of other people as well. And uh, Trent on playing in front of a lot of family and friends in Minnesota. You know, it means everything to me. You know, I'm having an opportunity to see me play, you know, kind of live through me. You see that it's possible. You see that it's attainable, that they can reach the same goals that, that I'm at, the same level I'm at. You know, it's the same thing that I did. But my father, you know, seeing him play, you know, he's kind of done playing now. So 
you know, they can't look up to him or see his highlights. So I'm the closest thing, you know, to the reality of, of what it can be if they can see the work and, you know, be what they are. So any chance I get an opportunity to showcase that or go out there and play in front of them, or, you know, I just go out there and play hard. It, it's a great point, Jonesy, when you especially talk about, uh, you know, being that example of, of trying to, sh- you know, set that example and show what can be done if you put in the hard work, what is ultimately potentially attainable and achievable. And I'll tell you another thing, too, and, and you and I didn't know this story. We both looked it up uh, in commercial breaks and whatnot and, and did a little bit of digging on it. And, and our producer, Mark Boffel, sending us a, a link to a, to a story and, and, and whatnot as well. Uh, Nikki Reyes highlighted it on the television broadcast last night. But one of the other folks in attendance was Trent's friend, one of his closest friends, if not best friend, uh, Jordan Bolton, who was a former uh, high school teammate and then high school rival, but the two of them became the best of friends. And Jordan had uh, an accident um, in university uh, where he ended up paralyzed and paralyzed from the neck down and in a wheelchair and obviously and, and, and with no movement of his limbs and was given a 5% chance, I believe, of even surviving, period. And here he is still alive, uh, still going, and still very proud of his friend, Gary Trent Jr. And, and, you know, we saw even through social media a couple of uh, photos and whatnot of Gary with his friend Jordan and, and with some sort of physical therapy um, mechanism set up where he's trying to help uh, Jordan stand up and, and, and move his body a little bit. And then the both of them with two big smiles on their face. And then Jordan tweeting out yesterday as well that this was the first time, last night was the first time that he had an opportunity to see his best friend live in action in an NBA game because of the path he's been on getting back to this point, uh, simply surviving, period, but let alone hopefully thriving in the best way he can with, with you know, what life is, has, has now become for him. He has not had an opportunity to travel, to get to Portland, to get to Toronto or anywhere else. And there he was last night uh, watching in person finally for the first time ever his 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 best buddy Gary Trent like I, I would I would recommend people uh, you know go on social media or Google um, the story because there are multiple links to multiple stories both television uh, and newspaper and whatnot from Jordan Bolton again Jordan Bolton and his friendship with Gary Trent it was a real special story Jonesy that I'm, I'm surprised I didn't know more about and I'm glad that we did find out more about it yeah uh, and those are the uh you know those are the parts of the uh parts of the game the human element the human part of the game that uh you know nobody knows about we, you know we had Alvin and John Thomas Alvin Williams and John Thomas on yesterday and I found it really interesting that both of them uh to a man spoke to uh you know the relationships and your your kind of happiness off the court uh, and the people will just point to the money and say, hey, you're making all that money. You should be happy. And, you know, as we talked about yesterday, just the two of us in the studio um, when, before we started the broadcast of the game, I found that interesting because there's just so much more to life. And, you know, the fact that Gary Trent Jr. Uh, and it's a fabulous story, folks. Go and read it. Look it up. Uh, the fact that uh, he has done this, it just it just says something about him as a person. And it's not it's not something that is being thrown out there in the media. Hey, look at me. Look at what I do. Um, it's, it's, it's real and it's heartfelt. 
Um, so I, I, it, terrific story. And again, it tells me a little bit about him. Well, not a little bit, a lot about him as a person and probably his family and the upbringing he had as well. Yeah, that's a great point, Jonesy. Um, again, it's Jordan Bolton. If you want to uh, Google that story with uh, Gary Trent and his friend Jordan Bolton. Back to Trent and his performance last night against the Timberwolves. 30 points for the Raptors uh, in the victory, 103-91 over the Timberwolves, Trent, 5 of 12 from distance, certainly dialed in as a three-point shooter this season overall. And uh, after the ball game, in spite of his own performance and in spite of the fact that Fred didn't even play, here was Trent talking about Fred Van Vliet's three-point shooting. He shoots the ball beautifully, you know, technique-wise. The coaching staff tried to help help me, you know, to the best of my abilities, kind of emulate, you know, what they taught him over the years, whether it's just quicker release, getting it off, setting your feet. So just learning, you know, watching him and getting better every day with my coaches. Little man got to use a lot of force to get it up there. (laughs) 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 Little man got to use a lot of force to get it up there. Gary Trent with a nice little friendly jab at his friend, his teammate, Fred Van Vliet. But, Jonesy, you've talked about that a lot on our broadcast over the course of the season, and I would assume a lot of people that are tuning in right now tune into our broadcast as well. But for some of those that have missed it, you constantly are are harping on, in a positive way, how technical Gary's shot is and how how pristine it often is, shot ready, feet ready, locked and loaded, and and how smooth he is with with his stroke in general. It's something you look at as a coach, Eric. Um, and I guess I, I have my, my coaching hat on, uh, my teaching hat on uh, when I watch Gary Trent Jr. And I've said this many times. Somebody's taught him how to offensively, how to play, you know, the right way. Um, uh, he, he doesn't go on one-man uh, forays where he dribbles the ball for the entire shot clock possession. Uh, he's not afraid to give it up. He realizes when you give it up, and the focus is on the ball, if there's help or there's penetration, and you're a good shooter and you're ready to shoot, you're going to get good shots. And I, I, I watch the way he is uh, off the dribble. Um, I, I know back, it's, it's not always taught like this anymore, but I know back in the day I was taught when you are catching a pass to shoot and, you st- and you, you're going to make the catch, you step in one, two, left foot, right foot. Now your feet are in position and you can, you're balanced and you can elevate one, two on a catch. And it may, it's easier. Uh, you can do that on the dribble, one, two, step in. But if you're going, if your momentum's taking you any which way, left, right, forward, backward on a dribble, uh, it, it, it's going to be off. So I was taught on the bounce, it's a jump stop. It's a little hop. Um, and even now they're teaching the little hop on the catch, but the hop on the catch is a little boom, boom, like a little one, two. So to me, it's basically the same kind of thing. And you watch Gary Trent Jr. Um, If his feet aren't planted, he steps into shots nicely with his little hop on the dribble. Uh, He bounds onto two feet and and gets his legs under him and and goes up and um, he's on balance. He's rarely I'm not saying he never does, but he's rarely leaning left or right, trying for these tough off balance shots um and then he's got he's got really good technique he's got really good technique you know i go into the teaching with the kids uh you know balance hand on the side of the ball 
good elevation, good follow-through, elbow finishes above the eyebrow, hold the follow-through. Like, he's just, somebody's taught him. And, and when he takes shots, it just you just look at it and you think, man, that, that thing's going in. It, 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 I haven't seen, I can count on one hand the number of bad misses. Now, you're going to miss shots because the NBA is a league of contested shots. But mm-hmm. he makes a lot of them, too. I mean, he's 5 of 12 last night from 3. The Raptors had 8 three-pointers, and he had 5 of them. You know, uh, 10 of 24, well, you know, take away, take away the 12, and he's, and, he's, and he's 5 of 10 from, 5 of 10 from, 5 of 12 from distance, so uh, from inside the arc. And again, some of those are contested. So I, I just, I like his offensive game. I really do. Uh, you know, he's, he slides into space. He understands what he creates for other people as well. And he's, you know, just from being out on the floor and, and he's always ready to shoot it. So uh, I, I just love what he does on the offensive end. Well, let's hear from Nick Nurse on Gary Trent and his performance last night in the victory over the Timberwolves. Well, I was, uh, you know, Gary's pretty juiced up most nights right and i don't i don't think um that's gonna matter you know gary kind of grew up here uh and stuff i think he was gonna be juiced up for this one for sure but it was got us off to a great start and then answered late as well so started and finished well well he, he really did bookend the performance well uh, again a hot first quarter uh, kind of a lull in the second and third, and then caught the hot hand again in the fourth quarter to help propel the Raptors to the comeback victory over the Timberwolves. Um, let's, Lance, jump ahead for one second to to uh, to our third clip on Thaddeus Young before we finish with uh, some general comments from Nick Nurse uh, on the All-Star break. Thaddeus Young, Jonesy, his third game with the Raptors, his second game on the floor and actually playing and performing in 21 minutes last night, uh, five of nine, 10 points, five rebounds, and looked every bit the part of the guy that the Raptors were hoping uh, to get on deadline day, ultimately got, and a, and a solid piece for that second unit. And he certainly looks like he's going to be a, a, a guy that fits in well for the stretch drive. He does. He does. Um, he's a veteran, E, and, and we saw it last night. Uh, just making the right plays, cutting into space, like you said, you know, 10 points in 21 minutes, 10 and five in, in you know, less than half the game. Uh, and, and just being there, especially for the, uh, especially for the younger guys. Uh, I, I, lo- I like this pickup. I really, really like this pickup. And the thing that people might sleep on is he's a really solid defender. Yeah. Yep. No doubt about it, Jonesy. Here's Nick Nurse on Thaddeus Young. First of all, he, he is a he is a player with, with with some experience and understanding of how to play, understand spacing. He's he's um, he just knows how to play the game, right? He knows when to pass the ball, he knows when to cut, and things like that, which aren't easy. You know, those guys that are cutters are really important. You know, it's a feel thing, and and that's a really um, vital part of your offense. Um, obviously, he's got the experience. He's been in the league a number of years. He's played in a lot of tough games. Uh, that helps, but he is—he is very intelligent. I mean, one of the coaches say today that the guy's been here a few days and he's asked, you know, three of the three, three, three really good questions. You know, in the last forty-eight hours, you know, going over coverages and game plans and things like that, and and um, really, con- you know, really playing the role that we wanted him to play, which was a 
veteran guy that can that can you know give some wisdom to our team. You know, one of the things I want to pick out about that, and and I like the last part there, Jonesy, about the the you know the veteran um, leadership and 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 the veteran mind to tap into a little bit. But I'm going to flip this and 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 give a little kudos to the Timberwolves, even though they ultimately lost to the Raptors last night. One of the things you addressed a lot during the broadcast, and we saw it a ton, was what Nick just talked about Thad Young doing, cutting, cutting to the hoop, cutting into the paint, presenting himself, making himself an option. Raptors probably need to do more of that, at least based on what we saw Minnesota doing last night, because they were doing that time and time and time again. Whether it was on pick and rolls or pick and slides and cutting to the hoop and, and back doors and whatever, they were moving the ball a lot, especially right in the paint and trying to attack that front line of the Raptors. Well, that's, that's Chris Finch. And, uh, you know, you watch, there was a lot of uh, middle screen and rolls and they they took advantage of the Raptors. I mean, defensively, I'll never I'll harken back to Brendan Malone, uh, first ever coach of the Raptors. And I remember sitting uh, him with him one night uh, in Charlotte. Uh, the Raptors were there for a game on a Wednesday, and as the schedule would have it, uh, we got there on 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 the Monday, and there was a game that Monday night, and I was going to go to the game. And when I walked into the arena, there was Coach sitting there right where the media was and where the scouts sit. And he said to me, what are you doing here? I said, I'm a fan too. I, I like to scout and I like to watch. And, you know, back in once upon a time, I coached at a level too. And we started to laugh. And, you know, right into the middle of the game, he said, you know, what are they doing defensively on the pick and roll? I said, uh, well, they're unfortunately switching it and they're getting killed. He goes, yep because they're not using the, 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 the advanced principles. And I said, what are they? Like what I, you know, and he came up with two things that I've never forgotten. Switch and smother and switch and deny. So when there's a switch taking place, especially with a size mismatch, the ball handler, when you switch, you got to smother him. You have to contain him, make it difficult for him to make a pass. And then the other guy, when you switch, and he said, he said to me, and Jonesy, when you write it down, it's one word. Don't put a space. Switch and smother. Switch and deny. And the Timberwolves were running the middle screen and roll, and they were getting the ball from the switch into the guy in the, in the, in the short roll. And now he decides. He goes into the lane. Everybody collapses towards him. They pitch it out. And then they make the other pass because it's not the first pass out of the double team. It's the second pass. So that become the first pass out becomes the hockey assist. And Minnesota did that a number of times. High screen and middle screen and roll up high above the arc, hit the guy in the lane, drives into the lane, pitch it to a, a corner. If the guy had a good shot or was a good shooter, he'd take it. If not, they'd make one more pass and you could never catch up to the ball. And you know, to your point about the cutting, Eric, I thought Thaddeus Young did that well. And when you cut into the lane, it moves the defense. I mean, the Raptors also got beat with some, uh, in their shell drill, it, it, with some give and goes by not snapping the head around and turning the head after right. your man uh, passes the ball, right? You teach that in bitty ball or you teach that in your shell drill. A guy makes a pass from A to B. When you're guarding player A, you jump towards the ball where he passed it to B. And, and then you, you follow your player, player A, and at some point you have to turn your head quickly to look at the ball. You have to see man and ball. 
And then as he gets to a point, you have to turn your head quickly, snap the head around and put the arm out. And I can tell you three, four times. And Minnesota looks for that and they got it. But, you know, to your point about the cutters, Eric, when the Raptors have guys cutting, it means that the defense has to move. And if you have a guy cut from the weak side and you have a, 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 the ball on the left side, a guy cuts from the right side, the help defender who's on the guy in the corner has to honor the layup. So he steps into the lane or he moves, you know, two steps, one step towards the basket. Now you pitch it cross court to the guy in the corner. And if it's a Gary Trent Jr. or a Fred Van Vliet or somebody who can catch and shoot, you're going to be good to go with a wide open look. So uh, the cutting is, as Nick said, the cutting is very important. Sorry, I didn't mean to get into a coach's clinic with people. And, um, you know, if you want, we can we can make that part of our show, Eric. Uh, Jonesy's, Jonesy's, uh, Jonesy's book. I have a thick book <laughs> in my basement that is filled. I mean, I've been collecting them since I started coaching middle school in... 1987 with end of game plays, situational plays, offenses. It's a, it's a really thick book, and I, actually there's three of them, and I got all kinds of stuff. And um, somebody out there listening, if you're old enough, whoever has it, I want it back. Okay, whoever has it, I want. <laughs> I know, it back. I, I know the story. Right? Yep, go ahead. Text winner. I, right? I, I left my book. Yep. <laughs> When when they came to when they came to the Sky Dome, uh, I got talking just sitting on the bench one day with Fred, the late Fred Tex Winter. Uh, I was sitting between him and Jim Clemens with the Bulls, and Jim Clemens is a friend of our show, and he's a guy we should probably have on at some point. We're going to have another old veteran savvy coach on later, but Tex and I started talking about the triple post, the triangle, because it was the end of the season and the Raptors had started to run it too, and. We got into all the intricacies. You know, he said, you must reverse pivot on the weak side when you catch the ball. And, you know, you must move when the ball is in the air going here. That's when this happens. And I was just, I was just eating this up. And, and he, and we got talking. I said, so, so Tex, like, coach, where is all this? He goes, oh, it's in my book. And a friend of ours, Eric, Michael Cates, who coached at Humber College, had the original green cover triangle book. Hmm. And Tex had a, a new edition out, a Sherlock's bound one. And the, the next time I gave him my address, I got a, in the mail, in the mail, Eric, I got a book in the mail and he signed it. Happy ha, uh, uh, Paul, enjoy learning the triple post. And then he put a little triangle offense. Fred quotes Tex, unquote, winter. And I had that book, and I, I lent it to somebody who was a coaching friend of mine, and I never got it back. So somebody out there has my book, and if you're listening to me, I want it back. I, amnesty, <laughs> I'm not going to kill you. Just give me my book back. You know, my, my late father used to say three things you never lend, books, records, and money, because they don't come back. <laughs> and I made that mistake. So somebody has my book out there. I want it. Well, listen. I, I got plenty of books to lend if anybody wants them. I'd, I'd have a couple albums that I know I never got back, but I got no money to give, so 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 I can't help you with all three anyways. Um, one last one here before we take the break. Uh, here is Nick Nurse talking about the bench kind of coming together right now, maybe setting up for a positive run over the final 25. We've kind of, you know, been uh, running in the red a little bit, right? 
pushing guys through some minutes. Um, that's the first thing. So the break will certainly help, I think, regenerate there. Um, however, I also feel like recently here we're starting to to, to develop some some guys off the bench and and uh, you know I would say that all of them, you know, Delano and Malachi didn't do much, but they sure played confidently out there, right? Um, Thad was very good. Precious was very good. Chris was very good. Kem was very good. So there's, you know, I didn't mention any of our kind of normal five there. So that was, I think, I think that these guys kind of held the fort here a little bit, but I, but I see some development here in some of these guys where we can maybe manage minutes uh, a little differently coming out of the break. And and that's going to be a key, Jonesy, no doubt about it. We've talked a lot about it. Most people have, if they're Raptor fans, have talked about the second unit, the, the, the lack of depth or at least the lack of performance a little bit too often. We're starting to see more of it now. And if that's something that is a positive sign or that you can hopefully look to as a positive sign, that could be huge for Toronto. Because, again, I keep, I, I keep saying I'm guilty of it. I don't know if anybody else is. Oh, at the uh, unofficial, quote-unquote, halfway point. No, no, no. We're at the two-thirds point. There's only 25 games yeah. left in the season. So it's going to be a, a race to the finish here over the final six to eight weeks of the year once this All-Star weekend is back. And, again, the Raptors don't play again until next Friday. So they've got plenty of time to rest, plenty of time to recoup, and hopefully plenty of time then to get ready for that, as I say, that, that race to the finish that's going to be crazy and frenzied. And you're going to need to rely on at least a couple of, if not a handful, of those second-unit guys to pick you up, not just every so often, every night. You can't rely on just five dudes every night. It's got to be a complete effort. Yeah, and, and listen, when you get to the playoffs, you can shorten the bench. You can right. shorten it as much as you want, as we said, because there's no, there's no, uh, there's no back-to-backs. Uh, there's no three and four nights. You've got at least one, sometimes two days between games. Uh, so you're going to have your time to, to walk through and rest and get your shots up and, and be ready to go. Uh, so you can, you can milk them in the playoffs. And as much as people, the minutes police, are complaining about what's going on now with the Raptors, I will say this. What it's doing is consolidating and solidifying roles. And, you know, as I pointed out at the top of the show, how to play in close games. Guys know what to do in close games. And the Raptors, as I said, have had a lot of them, second most in the NBA. And so, yeah, that's, it's, it's tough because you're, you're, as Nick said, you're running them low. But, you know, the spinoff of that is they know how to play together. They know what to do in close games. They've seen this stuff before. And that is going to be a huge benefit come postseason time. Well, speaking of close games, another one last night for the Denver Nuggets as they beat the Golden State Warriors by one with Nikola Jokic going for 30-plus and 17 rebounds in that victory. A close one in Los Angeles as the Lakers get the victory uh, in spite of the fact that Anthony Davis went down again with an injury and he'll be sidelined for some time. Uh, but LeBron James with a fine performance and the Lakers get the win over the Jazz. So lots to discuss around the association uh, with veteran NBA coach and former NBA player as well. Lionel Hollins will join us next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. 
Uh, spent a great deal of time off the top of the show talking about the Raptors' victory over the Timberwolves last night, but lots to discuss around the association as well, including a big win, a big win, a much-needed win for the Los Angeles Lakers uh, as they knock off the Utah Jazz on a night where Anthony Davis was hurt, but LeBron James uh, was certainly magnificent, and L.A. gets the victory over Utah. To discuss that and a whole lot more, again, around the league, pleased to be joined by veteran NBA coach and player, uh, longtime member of the association, again, whether it be as a player or coach, and a multi-time champion as well, Lionel Hollins. Lionel, thanks for the time today. My pleasure, guys. How are you doing? Great to be on with you, Coach. We just, we just got into... Uh, some old-time basketball a minute ago. I remember sitting with Brendan Malone one night in in '96 uh, in in Charlotte, and I know at that point you were you were uh, you were out there in in Vancouver, and we started talking about coaching terms, switch and smother, switch and deny, and playing screen and rolls and all this stuff. So I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to start a coaching clinic show, and uh, you're going to be you're going to be one of my first guests because you were the you were the first one that that cost me money and taught me the value of team when when I when I was sure Philadelphia was going to clobber Portland in '77 as a kid, and <laughs> between you between you and Dave Twardzik and Bobby Gross and all these guys that well nobody'd ever heard of uh you, you were down 2-0 in the finals and won four straight so i i still have you on the top of my list for that coach and i want to talk about your former team the lakers uh and 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 you were there um you coached with frank give us a window into what might be going on there with with their lineup and why they're they're still kind of stuck in the mud two-thirds of the way into the season well i think that what happens a lot of time, and it's funny you talked about my former team because I was thinking about the Blazers. You know, they've lost <laughs> both of their our guards, and they're winning. I think uh, um, you need all types of players. You need stars, but you need players that do other things. And I think the fit for the Lakers is that they didn't put a team together that fit a team. They put together a team that had a bunch of names, a bunch of uh, honors on the resume, but – uh, ultimately, you have to be able to defend, you have to be able to rebound, and uh, you have to play as a unit. And I think, personally, I think the Lakers are going to be there after the uh, after the All-Star break. Unfortunately, they may not be there with, with Anthony Davis, but I think, you know, they've had a lot of success with uh, LeBron playing five. They just have to find five guys that go out on the court and just compete and play all out with hustle. I mean, I look at Toronto you know, they've lost all their stars. But new stars come on the horizon when given an opportunity and when they just go out there and compete and, and, and play hard. And you see Siakam, you see uh, Van Fleet and Anubi, all those guys step up. And then you look at the Lakers last night, you know, they're down big. And they just keep battling. And, 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 and next thing you know, they have a victory. And that's that's how you play. It's not who you have on the court so much as – is how you go out there and compete and, and play hard. And I think the Lakers are, have done that, but not consistently enough. And I even think with with, uh, with with Westbrook, I think the one of the things that I would say to Westbrook if I were still on the staff is just go play hard. Whatever you get, get it. And, and just leave it all out there. And, and, you know, don't have expectations because I'm Russell Westbrook, former MVP Russell Westbrook, uh, that I have uh, scoring championships and I've triple doubles and all of this other stuff is, is really meaningless because it's in the past. 
But where you are now, they need something from you that may be different. And, you know, you're not going to usurp the, the influence of, of the team chemistry that has been LeBron and AD since they've been together. You have to come in and fit in another in another role. And I thought last night, the last few games, he's played really great. And, and don't worry about, you know, what the media says about your shooting or your you know, certainly you can cut down on your turnovers, but the intensity and the effort is what, what carries you. And it's actually what has carried him in the past that got him here. But sometimes you forget that. And I think that, that the, the Lakers are going to be okay. Whether they can win a championship, I don't know. But I think they're going to give whoever they play uh, a lot of trouble. And they may win a couple of series. Hey, Lionel, I, I'm, I'm sure the answer is probably um, it's situational. It's case by case. But I'm going to ask the question anyways. How difficult are those questions, or conversations, I should say, how difficult are those conversations to have, coach to player, where you're trying to motivate a guy or get through to a guy? And, and, and I, don't, I don't say this disrespectfully, but tell a guy to maybe check an ego and say, hey, whatever you can bring, bring what you can bring. But to your point, just bring it with maximum effort. How, how difficult is that because our players may be not open to hearing that or seeing that because they're still believing what they were two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago? Well, that's coaching, really. Um, coaching is, is, is inspiring, encouraging, holding accountable, uh, you know, Telling the truth, Cotton Fitzsimmons, who I came in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns as an assistant coach with, used to say, if you tell the truth, the players will eventually respect you. They won't like what you say. They may not even accept what you say, but in the end, they will know that you were truthful with them. And, that, and that's been my motto. You just you have a conversation in the beginning. It's, it's a tough conversation, but there's tough conversations all through our lives. And this is just a small part of it. And you sit down. These are my expectations. What are your expectations? These are my expectations. This is how we've been, and this is how we're going to go forward. Do you think that you can handle that? I, I remember having a conversation with Agent Zero, Gilbert Arenas, when we signed him, and he was fine. He, you know, he may not accept it what I said when I talked to him, but when we went out on the court, he knew that I had already told him what the role was going to be, and he, he, he didn't complain about it when we talked. So he had no room that when we started that he wasn't. But he didn't. He, he was he was accepting. He embraced his role. We had a good relationship, and things went well for us that year. So I just think that this is this is the nature of coaching. Part of it is a little bit of a confrontational because all players think that they're better than what they are. All players want to be the star, or all players want to win on their own terms. But that's why coaching is there to show them that they don't always know what's right for the group. They, they know what's right for them, but they don't know what's right for the group. And what's right for them is not always right for the group. And the group is more important than the individual when you're talking about team. Now, if you want to talk about a track meet or a golf game, yeah, that's a little bit different. But it, in the team games, you know, the Rams don't win without the defensive line doing what they did. The whole the, the, the Cincinnati Bengals at bay, for four or five different possessions before they finally drove down the field and scored a touchdown. So, you know, you can't do it by yourself in a team game. Coach, you, you always, <clears throat> one of the great lines that you gave me, I think it was you, we were talking one night, just sit, standing in the locker room at, at Scotiabank when, when, you were, when you were coaching, standing in the arena, you said sometimes coaching is fighting human nature. 
and and players, as you said, want to do certain things, and their nature is to do A, when you have to convince them that it's that it's that it's B. And and you referred to Toronto in in and the chemistry and new stars emerging. How do you draw that out? How does Nick? I mean, first you identify the talent, but how do you how do you instill that confidence and draw that out? I mean, I remember a couple of years ago the Lakers championship in the bubble, and and the things. I mean, that was it. It, it wasn't easy against Miami, but you were able to draw the confidence out of guys and and people who were thrown on the scrap heap, like a Rondo, all of a sudden became very important with your team. How do you draw that out of guys as a coach? Well, it's, it's communication and it's selling. You're constantly selling the team aspect. You're constantly selling we versus me. Now, there were many conversations in L.A. with no, uh, numerous players about embracing the role, embracing the role, because players only see the individual stats and they only see the individual glorification i've had i had to sell zach randolph and memphis that in order for us to be a better team he had to be a better teammate and that he had played an average 20 and 10 for a number of years but yet he had never made an all-star game even though in his mind he did all that he was supposed to but the reality is is that when we started winning and and going to the playoffs Zach made an all-star team. Zach was considered one of the top power forwards in the game at that particular point. And before, as an individual, he wasn't. So it's sell, 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 communicate, develop relationships where they trust you that you're not trying to hold them back. You're trying to leapfrog them forward. And um, the, the, the leapfrog forward comes from the team aspect. And you can look at role players that have become stars because they just played their role to the hilt. It's hard because you haven't seen it. You haven't ever been asked to do it throughout your life as a star player that comes up to the to the AAU ranks and the college ranks of going to school for one year and, and drafted high. And everybody has these expectations of you. But you know, eventually you have to fit in, and uh, that that's the important thing. Is everybody has to fit, and once everybody fits and embraces roles then you have great chemistry. And then everybody says, I got to play for my teammate. I got to hold myself accountable to them and hold them accountable to me. And it goes around the table. It's not just one person holding everybody accountable. It's each person holding himself first and then others, because you can't hold anybody accountable until you hold yourself accountable. I can't tell you, man, you're not running hard when I don't run hard. I can't tell you to be on time when I'm not on time. And so those are all the things that come into the, the building of a team. And uh, uh, by the way, Nick has done a great job this year. You know, there's been a few coaches that I've commented on that have done great jobs that, you know, you, you, you know, everybody's all, oh, it's over for Toronto. It's over for so-and-so. It's all, but the reality is, is that good coaches figure out a way to uh, get people to embrace uh, what the, what the, what the team plan is. Speaking with Lionel Hollins, Coach, I, I'm listening to everything you're saying, and I think there there might not be a better example. I mean, you've mentioned Toronto a couple of times. I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, sitting in fourth in the Eastern Conference. Now, they have two All-Stars in Jared Allen and Darius Garland now, but I don't think anybody would have anticipated those two guys being All-Stars at the beginning of the season, let alone the Cavaliers as a team being 12 games above 500 and sitting in fourth in the East 
at the All-Star break. To me, they, they, they buy into or tap into everything you've just discussed in the last five, ten minutes. No question about it. And unfortunately for you guys in the media, your biggest strength is looking back. And, uh, you know, everybody would say, well, Cleveland <laughs> last year, so why would they be any good this year? I don't see any difference. But they, they were growing last year. You know, everybody uh, is not known until they're known. You know, you talked about earlier, Paul, about the Sixers and, and us in Portland. Nobody knew who we were. We were a good team. We had beaten Philly mm-hmm. during the year by 46 points uh, in, a, in an early regular season game. But nobody thought anything about us until we did it. And you have to go out there and do it. And doing it is present. You know, you can't say, well, the Lakers won last year, so they're supposed to be one of the top teams this year. And, and that's how it goes. You know, the Rams won the Super Bowl. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be there again. they got to go through all the work and put in all the, the sweat equity. And the chemistry has to come together. The roles have to be accepted again in the future. They did it this year. But you can't. As, as, as they start talking about who's going to be, you know, the baseball champion now as baseball is about to get started. You know, you can't say Atlanta is going to do it just because they did it last year, but that's what happens. Everybody, oh, they did it last year. They'll be good. They have this guy. They have that guy. But there's other teams that have guys, and there's other teams that came close to being better last year and will be better this year in all sports. It just you know, we, I'm looking at the Olympics and some of the people that are failing. And when I say failing, not, not achieving the goals that they set for themselves. It's not failing when you don't win because, you know, being in the Olympics and, and doing uh, that is just an achievement in itself. But not getting on the medal stand, people, you know, really put in a lot of work and it, it hurts. So I'm not putting somebody down for not achieving, but just saying that when you look at how the media has built up people and then there's other people that have risen up <laughs> – seemingly out of nowhere and become champions. And, and that's, that's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty of life, really, because it doesn't matter where you came from and what you have. It still has to come forth in whatever you do. Coach, last one for me. We only got a couple minutes left here. Um, run, down, run down the list and give me about seven, eight teams who you think could be there at the end because we still have a third of the season to go. Injuries play into things. Uh, there might be an extra guy here or there on the buyout market, but even that, it's it's tough to integrate that chemistry late. Um, you know, Chicago's having a terrific season. It looks like they're going to get Tristan Thompson. We saw a report last night. But give me give me seven or eight teams and maybe the top four or five in each conference who you think, uh, you know, hey, man, they could be there at the end. Well, obviously, we could, we'll start, you know, Phoenix, it's, it's unless they have injuries, you know, Chris Paul got hurt last night. And, uh, you know, Golden State, they got to get fully healthy. Memphis is the surprise team. John Moran is a star. Utah may fade. You know, they've been hanging on. Dallas has come on. They made a huge trade, and it, it, it was surprised everybody. Uh, Denver, I don't think Denver is going to rise unless Murray can come back, Less. Uh, Porter Jr. can come back. Uh, the Lakers and Clippers, I don't see, you know, uh, both of those teams going all the way to the end, like Western Conference Finals. But, you know, a surprise team for me is Minnesota. You know, they, they really are a surprise, and they're, they're going to be good. In the East, you look at Chicago, what they've done. Miami is continually, because of their, you know, tough guy, grinded out culture, it's always there. Milwaukee, you know, has had some 
uh, ups and downs, but, you know, they had a long season last year. So I, I believe they'll be there. Philly's been a surprise. Again, no stars except for MB, but they're winning. They're a great mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. going to be better when, when they get uh, uh, James Harden acclimated to what they're doing. Boston started slow picking up Toronto right there. You know, Brooklyn, everybody says Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn. Now they have Simmons and they have uh, Kyrie Irving. They had Harden and they had Kyrie Irving. They had Durant. You still got to go out there and do it. I think they'll be there, but it's not going to be as easy and it's not going to be a sure thing as everybody likes to say. Uh, after that, you know, I don't think there's those other teams have enough total to be uh, there at the end. Charlotte could surprise some people like Atlanta did last year, but, uh, you know, it is going to be one of those, uh, you know, they get catch lightning in a bottle. Hey, Coach, we appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Lionel, so great to talk to you, man. So great to chat. My pleasure. Enjoyed it always. Take care. There is Lionel Hollins, veteran NBA coach, former player as well, multi-time champion, and appreciate his time and insight today. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well.